Section 4 of The Day Before Yesterday This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Day Before Yesterday by Richard Middleton The Storyteller He changed with the seasons, and like the seasons was welcome in every mood. In spring he was forlorn and passionate in turn, now fiercely eloquent, now tuneful with those little cheerful songs that seem in terms of human emotion to be the saddest of all. In summer he dreamed in sensuous and unambitious idleness, gladly conscious of the sunshine and warm winds and flower smells, and using only languorous and gentle words. In autumn, with the dead leaves of the world about his feet, he became strangely hopeful and generous of glad promises of adventure and conquest. It seemed as though he found it easier to triumph when nature had abdicated her jealous throne. But it was in the winter time when he came into his own kingdom and mastered his environment and his passions to make the most joyful songs. Then he would lie at full length on the hearthrug, and we children, sitting in a rapt circle, fantastically lit by the fire, would listen to his stories and know that they were the authentic wisdom. It was in vain that the grown-ups warned us against the fascinations of his society, telling us that dreamers came to no good end in a practical world. As well might the townfolk of Hamlin and Brunswick have ordered their children to turn a deaf ear to the tune of the Pied Piper. We had studied life from a practical point of view between our games and found it unsatisfying. This man brought us something infinitely more desirable. He would come stepping with delicate feet, fearful of trampling on our own tender dreams, and he would tell us the enchanted stories that we had not heard since we were born. He told us the meaning of the stars and the significance of the sun and moon, and listening to him, we remembered that we had known it all once before in another place. Sometimes, even, we would remind him of some trivial incident that he had forgotten, and then he would look at us oddly and murmur sadly that he was getting very old. When the stories were over and all the room was still ringing with beautiful echoes, he would stand erect and ask us fiercely whether we saw any straws in his hair. We would climb up him to look, for he was very tall, and when we told him that we could not find any, he would say, The day you see them there will be no more stories. We knew what the stories were worth to us, so we were always afraid of looking at his head for fear that we should see the straws and all our gladdest hours should be finished. His voice was all the music extant, and it was only by recalling it that our young ears could find that there was beauty in fine singing and melodiousness in the chant of birds. Yet when his words were eloquent, we forgot the voice and the speaker, content to sacrifice our critical individualities to his inspiration till we were no more than dim and silent figures in the background of his tale. It was only in winter time that he achieved this supreme illusion. Perhaps the firelight helped him, and the chill shadows of the world. In the summer his stories had the witchery of dreams. Their realism startled us, yet we knew that they were not real. After listening to them through a hot afternoon, we would stretch back into consciousness as though we had been asleep. His drowsy fancies lulled our personalities, but did not conquer them. The winter magic was of a rarer kind. Then even his silences became significant, 
for he brought us to so close an intimacy with his mind that his very thoughts seemed like words. It is idle to expect a child to believe that every grown-up person was a child once upon a time, for it is not credible that they could have forgotten so much. But this man was a child both in feeling and in understanding. He knew the incidents that perplexed us in those nursery legends that have become classics, and sometimes it was his pleasure to tell them to us again, having regard to our wakeful sympathies. He was the friend of all the poor lost creatures of romance, the giants whose humiliating lot it was to be defeated by any stripling lad, the dragons whose flaming strength was a derision when opposed to virtue and armor. He shared our pity for Antaeus and Caliban and Goliath of Gath, and even treated sorcerers and wicked kings with reasonable humanity. Somehow, though we felt that it was wicked, we could not help being sorry for people when they were punished very severely. The very ease with which giants could be outwitted suggested that the great simple fellows might prove amiable enough if they were kindly treated, while it was always possible that dragons might turn out to be bewitched princes if only the beautiful princesses would kiss them, instead of sending heroes to kill them unfairly, without giving them an opportunity of explaining their motives. Our storyteller understood our scruples and sympathized with them, and in his versions everyone had a chance, whether they were heroes or no. Even the best children are sometimes cruel, but they are never half so pitiless as the writers of fairy stories. But better than any fairy stories were the stories that he told us of our own lives, which under his touch became the wonderful adventures which they really were. He showed us that it was marvelous to get out of bed in the morning and marvelous to get into bed at night. He made us realize the imaginative value of common things, and the fun that could be derived even from the performance of duties by aid of little make-believe. The grown-up folk would probably have derided his system, but he made us tolerate our lessons and endure the pangs of toothache with some degree of fortitude. He had a short way with the ugly boggles with which thoughtless nurses and chance echoes from the horrors columns of newspapers had peopled the shadows of our life. We were no longer afraid of the dark when he had told us how friendly it could be to the distressed. Hitherto we had vainly sought to find the colors and sounds of romance in life, and, failing, had been tempted to sum up the whole business as tedious. After he had shown us how to do it, it was easy to see that life itself was a story as romantic as we cared to make it. Our daily official walks became gallant expeditions, and we approached arithmetic with a flaming sword. Can any childhood ever have known a greater wizard than this? And yet, since that state does not endure forever, it must surely have happened to us to seek for straws in his towering head once too often, had not death taken our kindly enchanter from our company, and thus spared us the bitter discovery that the one man who reconciled us to life was considered rather more than eccentric by an obtuse world. It is true that we noticed that the grown-up people were apt to treat him sometimes as if he were one of us, but we felt that he merited that distinction and did not find it strange, nor did we wonder that he should tell stories aloud to himself, lacking a wider audience, for we knew that if we had the power we should tell such stories to ourselves all day long. We did not only fail to realize that he was mad, we knew that he was the only reasonable creature of adult years who ever came near us. He understood us and paid us the supreme compliment of allowing us to understand him. 
The world called him fantastic for actions that convinced us that he was wise. And thanks to a fate that seemed at the time insensately cruel, the spell was never broken. End of section 4